0: Five, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Commit flip Hey, good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It is Friday, March 4th. And uh, usually we have guests on Thursday. Yesterday we had four um 18 year olds who just got back from alaska the bahamas and peru they were all on mission trips if you didn't get a chance to listen to that and you want to go listen to that go to swatradio.com and you can click on uh past broadcast and you can see that and listen to that it will be is really encouraging i encourage you to do that but sometimes we will have guests on friday and so we got a double treat this week we have uh we have a guest today and who's got quite an unusual story and I um, met our guest today years ago and uh, he is a good friend of our friend Tommy Nelson who has been on here many times at Denton Bible Church and uh, I was out in uh, Denton last week, uh, this last weekend and uh, got to see Jim again and just... Uh, Connected with him and uh, ask him if he'd be our guest today because he's involved with some neat stuff. He's got a neat story. And uh, I think if you know anybody that struggles with substance abuse, uh, that maybe struggle with uh, walking the Christian walk, uh, somebody that may uh, just wonder if God's really there, this brother can help you understand that because he is he had an attention getter and i'm gonna let him share that but jim hill welcome to swat radio brother is our first time you're on here how you doing
1: okay i'm doing fine doug thank you brother
0: well good it it was good to see you again boy wasn't that a good conference out there
1: it was it was very good uh we need reminders all the time don't we
0: we sure do and and it was good uh tommy and that church leadership has done a real good job. How long have you been associated, uh, with those Bible studies, Jim out there?
1: I started attending Denton Bible church in 1980 spring. We were at 200 strong at the time. And, uh, so that's 40 years, 42 years now. I uh, hadn't looked back and, uh, you know, got uh, trained there and uh, helped uh, with other problems along the way and uh, served on staff for 27 years.
0: Yeah, now was Tommy, uh, he, he has been there about 42 years too, hadn't he, right around that time frame?
1: Yeah, I think he and uh, Mel got together around 1977, maybe 78, along in there. Okay. So I got there a couple of years, just a couple of years after they started things up, yes.
0: And you were actually on staff. You you actually went to Dallas Theological Seminary, didn't you? That's correct.
1: Uh, I was in Seminary 79 to 84 and withdrew. In April of 84, because I had an alcohol uh, problem, an addiction problem, and I had to get that straightened out before I could get back on the road to serving God.
0: Mm. Now, when you went to, well, why did you go to seminary? You just felt the call to go do that, or uh, what were you doing? Like, um, in fact, what you, I heard, did you ever get to see a guy named Joe Namath play football? Uh,
1: I got there the year after Joe Namath. It so you, was uh, Steve Sloan, and then it was Snake Stabler, and uh, so no, I, I missed him by one year. <laughs> so you went to the
0: University of Alabama. Oh, that's where you went, right?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Well, yes. well, Stabler wasn't too bad, was he? He was a pretty good player.
1: No, no, <laughs> no, he. Uh, he made the grade there eventually. Yes.
0: Well, um, well I heard that you woke up on the roof of a fraternity house. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, pretty out of it. And I was going up the stairs to the second floor to find my room. And I just kept climbing right out the window because I didn't know if I was going to get ill or not. And so I just laid on the roof uh in case uh, something happened and uh, that's where i woke up the next morning yes <laughs> <guess. laughs> well
0: well was that was your problem with alcohol something that started in high school or college or after college
1: i never had a drink until uh after basketball season in high school i was probably march uh of being eight, eight, I was 18 years old, and it was, uh, that was the first time I started drinking, and I got a good buzz on, and, uh, then I wanted to excel at it. So, uh, you know, I, I practiced <laughs> religiously, and, uh, of course, I couldn't do it, uh, with mom and dad around. So when I got off to college, then I could go full bore.
0: hmm. Well, uh, when did, um, when did Jesus become a part of your life? Well, I was uh, a Christian kid.
1: Uh, I trusted Christ when I was nine years old. And uh, my uncle's uh, church, he was a Baptist minister up in Akron, Ohio. And uh, all of a sudden it became clear, uh, the plan of salvation and the accept the gift, the free gift of eternal life. Problem was, after, you know, being a believer for a while and then struggling with trying to live a perfect life and figuring out I could not, I finally just said, well, the heck with this. I can't be perfect. I'll just go ahead and live like the rest of my friends and peers and, um, you know, sample and dabble in some of the things that they're doing. And uh, that was a fatal flaw, as it were.
0: And, well, when you when you were doing that, were, were you actively involved in church on the weekends? Were you going to church on yes. Sundays?
1: Yes. Yes, I was. And I uh, might have even been in a youth group or two. But, um, you know, after a while, it just—and especially when I moved to Alabama from Florida, the, you could have—I uh, mean, they use tobacco, they use bourbon, you know, and— yeah. But they still had their Sunday services and and things. Some people were less committed than others, so it was kind of a acceptable thing. And uh, I was of a—I didn't want to be too legalistic. I said, okay, you're, the Scripture says do not get drunk with wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say don't drink wine. Of course, Hardshell Baptists would say don't drink or you're going to hell—not— well, not literally, but you know, and so I said, okay, I'll just drink uh, till I get a little buzz. Well, <laughs> you know, every time I drank, then shortly thereafter, every time I drank, I'd get drunk, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of a point of no return. And then I just said, well, heck with it, I can't, uh, I can't be perfect. You know, the old uh, scripture out of Revelation: that If you're hot, be hot or warm. Yes, be cold or warm. Uh, be cold or hot, not lukewarm. Yeah, and I said, okay, I'm lukewarm. I may as well just go ahead and you know turn my back on God and live my own life. I'm, I can't. I can't do this thing.
0: And this and is why you were at sem- And this is why you were at seminary. This happened.
1: The, that was right. Now, of course, I, I left school in '69, went to the Navy for four years, then came back, finished up with a. Uh, accounting degree and then started seminary in 79 and uh uh, and by 84 i was full-blown alcoholic
0: okay so let me back up just a little uh, a minute so when you went to seminary um what Mm -hmm. what motivated you to go there did you feel a call or did you think that would help you you think if you got in that world it would help you
1: no, I I felt a call. Uh, I was uh, dead set. I I'd, I'd worked in an accounting department at a local uh, utility, and I was after a year. I said, "This is going nowhere. I'm going to go get a law school degree." And took the LSAT, and you know, I was I was it would be acceptable accepted. I just didn't have the funds, and so. Uh, but then there's something changed in the middle of it. I said, you know. God, I felt the call of God on my life in the past. Now that I'm getting my life straightened around a little bit, is it still valid? And um, my 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 intention was to get a missionary degree, be a missionary to China where the need was the greatest. And um, that's what I set out to do. And, after, and and another thing, too, I was going on a GI Bill. They extended the GI Bill to cover some... Uh, A graduate level work, and that helped. I had the money. My wife had a good job, and so law school turned a year later into seminary, and um, and then the first few years were okay. And then toward the end of that, I'd go into these, I'd go down to visit a a relative, and we'd drink, and that was the Fourth of July and Christmas, and then the drinking got closer and closer together and eventually uh I was out of control.
2: Mm.
0: Well um when you were at Dallas were you uh, you obviously were hiding this problem from people because cuz you That's were correct. around other people that felt called to ministry. I'm sure uh John was John Hanna there then. Uh John Hanna oh, yes. and and uh oh, yeah. Howard Hendricks. You had uh, yes. you had mm-hmm. professors there that were pretty astute believers so uh yes. h- how did you how did you act around them were, were were any of them on it did any of them say hey you know jim no. or they, you did a pretty good job no. of fooling them
1: no i i think uh you know alcoholics can be pretty clever in covering their tracks and uh i in the first few years too i was clean and sober i mean i didn't drink uh and it was against the rules mm-hmm. to drink or smoke and so, um, it was only a couple of years later that I started to dabble in it and then, uh, it got more and more out of control, but no, I, we had great mentors. We had small groups, uh, four or five of us would meet with an upperclassman mm-hmm. and he'd just check how we're doing, um, financially, spiritually, uh, just, uh, family wise and so forth. And so, um, uh, I, but I was—I didn't live near campus or on campus. I wasn't involved in any real ministries. I was at a church. I was—we were uh, Sunday school teachers, my wife and I. But I was able to cover it up pretty much.
0: Mm. Uh, well, um, as as you continue to be in this seminary world, training people to go do ministry, and at the same time. Um, needing a big dose of the lord yourself just to yeah. help you overcome this. What happened? Yeah. What 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 got you into a place of recognition that you had an issue and how did god get your attention?
1: Okay, well, um uh I would pray, lord, deliver me from this. Help me control this. Um uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I, Psalm 69, I remember, I feel like I'm sinking up to my neck in this mire, Mm -hmm. and I can't get out myself. And I was waiting for a zap job, really, and God didn't do the zap job. But things were getting worse and worse with my family. I thought that the only person I was harming was myself, when really my wife was suffering, my uh, kids were suffering, uh, even though, cause I'm a closet drinker, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, no one knows. And, uh, I was teaching a Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class up here. And, uh, I'd have to eat, uh, a, a, a package of what's uh, those breath mints, you know, uh-huh. my tongue would be green, green <laughs> <laughs> while I'm teaching this Sunday school class. And, um, so finally my wife couldn't stand anymore. The pressure, the double life and, um, uh, she told uh, the older pastor, Mel Sumral, and he said, you tell him to come and see me. And I went and visited with him, and I wept, and I said, yeah, I'll, i got to stop this. I'll quit, I'll quit. And a few weeks later, he said, how are you doing with that? And I said, I'm doing great. I went two weeks without a drink, but then I had to have a six-pack the other night to kind of calm down. Mm. And he said, you cannot do that. You go to the counselor down there at seminary. You've paid it in your activities fee you go see a counselor and so i did and four weeks later i was into a rehab here in denton uh 30-day jitter joint i call it and after the rehab the 90 meetings in 90 days 12-step program and then uh you know meetings five of five average of five days a week after that
0: Mm. well um but you didn't you tell me when i was out there god got your attention through an accident too right
1: yeah that was earlier on when i was in the military um i was skydiving on the weekends i was at navy millington learning electronics school going to electronics school and on the weekends i'd go with this group and they'd go skydiving a few miles up the road and uh I had a malfunction. It's about my 25th jump. I had a malfunction with my parachute, and there was a hand. I had to hand deploy the backup chute, the the, uh, emergency chute, if you want to call it that, the reserve chute. And uh, when I hand deployed it, I was in a spin that I didn't realize, and I got some lines tangled over it. And so this smaller chute was (laughs) now it was cut in half. Uh, and the two sides were smaller and I hit the ground doing about 50 miles an hour, broke my foot, broke my back and, uh, ended up, uh, in the hospital and on a medical hold for about six months before going to, they pronounced me good and sober or not sober, but, uh, healed. And I went to a helicopter outfit in New Jersey. And that helicopter i hit, by the way, moved south from uh, Lakehurst to uh, where you at in Jacksonville. Uh-huh. And uh, and so um, the Sea Air Rescue guys, helicopter Sea Air Rescue Squadron number two, that was me back in seven sixty nine to 72. Um, but I, I had that skydiving accident. I didn't quit all of my carousing, but I did slow down quite a bit. I was, got married at the time that slowed me down, but there were some points along the way. I said, well, maybe God's trying to get my attention, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Cause, cause you were drinking at that time, right? In the military.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that's an excuse to, and that's why I ended up leaving college and going to the military. My dad and I were clashing over my lifestyle and he said, I'm not going to, support this anymore and so i said well okay i'll go in the military i can get a paycheck and drink you know and not have any anybody uh looking over me yeah freedom's a great thing (laughs) as adam and Eve found out right
0: yeah free free we're we're always uh kind of bound to something aren't we i mean in reality yeah um well you know as i'm sitting here listening to you jim you and i talked when i was out there um, you just said you went through a 12 step program. You know, one of the things, there's a lot of people that do what you did. Um, they, they hide because they're embarrassed. They hide yeah. because they're ashamed. They have a problem right, right. and they don't talk about it. Can you just right. take a moment? Cause I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to break on a half hour for the news, but we got about eight, nine minutes left. Uh, could you take a moment and talk about the freedom you felt when you finally were able to get the truth out to people and uh, and and even going through that 12-step program, not being in that kind of bondage anymore? Can you share a little bit about the yeah. deliverance God gave you there, the, the victory, the redemption, and, and the difference it made in your life? Because when you're in the midst of it, you don't really believe it's possible, do you?
1: That's right. I mean, I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how I was going to get out of this mess. Mm -hmm. And uh, I discovered, uh, after counseling at seminary, my wife had already contacted some apartments nearby where we lived in Louisville, Texas, and she was getting ready to take the kids and move out. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a realization later on, because, of course, the biggest thing in any kind of addiction is the denial Mm -hmm. I can handle this. I can quit this any time I want. I just don't want to quit, you know. And so uh, it became evident that um, my life was unmanageable, first step. Uh, I was out of control. And um, all I needed was a review of that, but I wouldn't make the connection that my life was out of control because of the alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. And so that, (laughs) that was made plain to me when I was in the rehab. And then afterwards, it's reinforced when I go to meetings and we read that. But these steps also gave me an opportunity to get a load of guilt and burden off of my body, off of myself, because the steps we go through, we make amends to people. We look at our character defects and we talk to somebody about those character defects and we're on guard against those things. So we start mending our lives, uh, so that they can be, uh, so that we can live in our own skin, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, the other side of it is too, uh, it is said that when we start drinking alcoholically or using drugs, uh, the spiritual life is the first thing that suffers. That's the first thing that goes away. And then when we get sober, that spiritual life is the last thing that we get back in recovery. Mm -hmm. And that can be up to a year after we get sober. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, chemically speaking, I've been putting this alcohol in my body for so long that uh, my endorphins are no longer being made, or the endorphins, the feel-good chemicals in my body, Mm. they're shut down because I don't need it because I'm doing this alcohol thing. So I quit drinking the alcohol, and he says, hey, we'll get to you in a while, but it's going to take a while to get this back up and going. And so a lot of times a guy will relapse in his first three to six months because he's not feeling any better because the uh, body has not fully recovered and. Producing some of the things it would normally produce, mm-hmm. well, it's a similar parallel with the spiritual life
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh that was uh, but I knew I needed something more, and that's the other thing. sobriety showed me that I was powerless over alcohol, but I was powerless over a bunch of other things in my life that I was trying to micromanage. Mm-hmm. I'm powerless over persons, places, and things. And I got to recognize I got to live life on life's terms. I can't go around manipulating and creating these things because that's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started saying, you know what? I'm going to start going to a men's Bible study, this six or eight week study that's the measure of a man or the men's, uh, how to be a good Christian man. And then the next uh, time they have a study on, uh, Just how to be a good father, how to be a good husband, how to be a responsible person in God's uh, economy, that is, uh, of working and uh, and leaving the results to God, things like that. Now, again, uh, I was just stepping out on, I know what I need to do to draw closer to God. That's one of the steps. It says, sought through prayer and meditation. Meditation, not medication. (laughs) Mm. Meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood it. So I'm trying to grow closer to God, and finally I started getting a little bit traction. Mm -hmm. And then I started feeling better about things and uh, having a a better perspective on life and saying, okay, God's in charge. I think I'll let him lead. And it's funny because when I was in rehab, the 30-day place, we would have discussions about finding the spiritual life and the mm-hmm. spiritual program. And one of the dear ladies there said, Can I talk to you? They knew I was a seminary student.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we went to the chapel. I showed her from the scriptures how she could know Christ as her savior. She trusted Christ. I mm-hmm. said, Wow, maybe God has a place for me to serve after all, in spite of all these warts
0: mm-hmm. and all
1: of these missteps that I've had along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh well as you you know I I'm just I'm thinking one of the things and I, I I I don't know a lot about the 12 steps. I know some things about it. Uh you obviously live through it. Did did they uh, but but the 12 step program there there's 12 step programs. There's alcoholic anonymous which is a a kind of program similar um do they teach you in those uh, I, I know they teach about a higher power, but right, I, right. but but alcoholism. You you're, you you have a good biblical knowledge, and yet you've lived as an alcoholic, and you've you've had to mm-hmm. um, by the power of God, you've been able to overcome that. As far as like the, yes. the devastating results, but isn't alcoholism just a form of idolatry? As just like every other addiction, I mean, basically. You're using something to take the place of God to kind of meet a need in your life to numb yourself or to, you know, to get rid of whatever you're struggling with. Is that, Am I right in that? Uh, and,
1: that, that would be – that's a good uh, parallel. Yes, that's an accurate statement because, um, it, you know, there's something like 30 different uh, – Addiction programs out there nowadays, yeah. everything from overeaters to chocolate candy to eaters <laughs> or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a pretty accurate statement because alcohol became number one in my life. Mm-hmm. I'd say, okay, God, I'll tip my hat to you, but I got to have this area of my life over here because I just have to have it. I'm, I'm really, and so it does become an idol. Yes, you're, that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, uh, definition of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, self, it's self-motivated. Uh, I didn't think I was hurting anyone but myself. And it was, um, I, we have a term in uh, the 12-step program Talk says ego, mm-hmm. edging God out. Mm. And that's what we were doing. Yeah. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-confident. I'm self-this. And it's I, I, me, me, self, self, ego, ego. And pretty soon... Yeah, I, I'll I'll say
0: I need God, but I don't act on that. It's that's, a uh, well, that's it's, idolatry. It's an allowance. Yeah. I mean that's. Yeah, I mean when you're right. saying I, 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 uh, it sounds like you're describing King Saul, you know, <laughs> in the Old Testament. Uh, but hey, we got We got to go to our first or our our only break today. It's uh, a news break on the half hour to catch up on everything going on in the world. Jim, uh, can you hang on after the break? Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. I have Jim Hill from Denton, Texas. He's talking about his, his his journey through alcoholism, and Jim has been a part of a church staff and really given a lot of good insight. When we come back, we're going to talk more about that, and we're going to be right back with more SWAT Radio after the news. So stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It is Friday, March 4th. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I had a good week last week. Uh, Last weekend, I was with my friend Jim Hill from Denton, Texas, and Tommy Nelson, and about a thousand guys out there. It was awesome. Uh, A bunch of guys listening to uh, Tommy and Calvin share. Uh, and it was, it was really encouraging to be out there, but, uh, Jim, thank you so much for your time today and, and being willing to talk about this, you know, um, you know, I, before we went to break, we were talking about the idolatry aspect of not just alcoholism, but any form of addiction, anything that you mm-hmm. go to, uh, to try to meet the needs in your life for, um, dealing with pain, value, you know, your worth. Uh, or, or, or to run away from those things. If you're, if you've done something or whatever it is, um, can become an idol. And you, you said edging God out, ego, I, 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 mm-hmm. um, and and that all that stuff um, is just a form of idolatry. But alcoholism, you mentioned this early in the program that you knew the Bible spoke to it. Um, you know, it talked about not getting drunk. And, and you right. would just you you would ed, you, you would kind of edge into it because uh, I know how the enemy works he's worked like this in my life and, and other right. areas but there are scriptures that speak about it first Corinthians 6 says you know no drunkards uh, are going to inherit the kingdom but Paul says later such mm-hmm. were some of you and indicating right. that the Bible can deliver you from that but if you go back to the Old Testament to the prophets, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames him. That's a very clear passage about dealing with people whose love of alcohol goes beyond a moderation. It goes beyond even just, you know, uh, having an occasional social drink. Uh, Be not among drunkards. But it also says yep. among gluttonous eaters. So the Bible is clear. But the thing that struck me, Jim, about the Old Testament is a lot of times, and even even with John the Baptist, when people were called to a special task for God, a lot of times he would say not to drink. Don't drink. Yeah. Uh, because he didn't. Right. He wanted them to be above reproach. So here's a question I have for you on this side. Of where your journey has been through that valley, um, mm-hmm. you know. Th- th- there's a, a growing movement around the country to meld beer in the Bible and 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 our wine in the Bible. It, it, it can be either one; it doesn't really matter. One one uh, particular denomination does something called theology on tap. Okay, where they actually Whoa. have Bible studies. Where you get together and you sample beers. Uh, there's one in Tampa called Beer and Bible Gatherings. They're held in bars.
1: Um, oh my goodness!
0: Yeah, and and they're to provide a safe third place where people can encounter the love of Jesus, free from judgment. You know, like in, because they they seek maybe solace in alcohol another group out in your area near fort worth is called the bible and beer consortium and my goodness and and so as somebody i mean like listen i realize these people are that they they want to reach the world but we've become so pragmatic you know that 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 we want to just say hey you know what we can have beer and we can do this, but as somebody who struggled, can you tell me what it would do to somebody like you if you were sitting in a group or a church and somebody was saying, hey, you know what? We love having beer and having discussions about Jesus. Why don't you come join us? What would go through your mind as you heard that? I would, what is it? Second Timothy,
1: it talks about, uh, uh, the scripture being profitable. And the last yeah, one, mm-hmm. yeah, for living in righteously for living in righteousness. And, um, that's what one of my friends, he would take communion. And he said, I, he, he, he was at a church where they serve wine. He said, I can't take communion. And his pastor said, well, don't you know, that wine becomes the blood of Christ. He said, that may be, but he says my body says, that's alcohol, (laughs) and I'm going to be craving more. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's the thing. I mean, how much of the world do we have to get in the church before we say enough's enough? Are we going to have... one of those parties where they uh, have the open sex, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I, yeah. You know, where, I, I heard someone talk about that where they put the keys in the bowl and you grab out a key and that's going to be your sex partner for the night. Whoa. Uh, whoa. Okay. Yeah, and some of these crazy things of. Uh, now I don't. I'm not saying that was a church. That was yeah. just a neighborhood yeah. gathering, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a similar concept, and it's like. Yeah, we're uh, we're supposed to be salt and light, but how can we be salt and light if we aren't just a little bit different from the average person that's, uh, you know, gluttonous or drinking or drugging or uh, chasing women or cheating on their income tax or cheating the bank or cheating their on and on and on? And we're supposed to be a little bit distinct from uh, what our um, the pagans are doing around us. You can always say, yeah, beer and Bible, is that what it was? Yeah,
0: one of them was called beer and (laughs) Bible.
1: I'd say, I cannot come to that. I'm going to be sitting there. Uh, why not beer and marijuana? I get a residual high while you guys are smoking. You know, you yeah. really get in touch with the spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. The, goddess, uh, the God of wine, Bacchus. You drink enough wine, you're going to commune with the spirits. Mm-hmm. We don't need to do that stuff. we got God's word. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are always taking they want to take shortcuts. That's what, and, and in the 12-step program, it talks about, uh, came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If I need to be restored to sanity, that means I'm insane right now. Mm. Or made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood it. I looked at that and I said, I've already done that. Mm. Well, no, have you really, have you done it 100% without reservation? Mm. Well, I thought I had, but evidently I hadn't, because I'm drinking alcoholically and my. I I didn't know who I was. That's why it took a long time to figure out who I was after I got sober because the alcohol would you know, screwed up my perceptions of life and my relationship with God and everything else. Now I got off track. Where were we? Well no, there? we were no, I well,
0: well the reason I ask you that is because I think there's a growing trend to identify oh, yeah. with people and one of the ways is in our culture is we associate beer with good times or social life or wine with social life and and uh-huh. yet you know uh, you I, I I don't believe it's a sin to drink alcohol uh, I, I, unless right. unless it's sinful for you like for you somebody who has a problem with alcohol, it would be a sin for them to drink alcohol but for somebody who's not I yeah. don't but I do think, that when we are up in front of people uh, as leaders or when we're speaking and sharing our story, in any way to glorify that is is dangerous for people like you. And I just wanted you to weigh in on that from somebody who's been there, if I'm off base on that, because I know you love the Lord, and I know you've struggled with that. And I just wondered, because it seems to be a trend, and that's why I shared all those different groups that are doing it now because it's surprising to me, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, that's almost a passive way of giving permission for someone to indulge in that. And we've got a lot. Of course, they would say, oh, well, all the other cultures across the world, they have wine with dinner when they're a five-year-old kid, you know. Mm -hmm. But so what? There's a lot of alcoholics also. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: For me, if that were uh, someone, I would say, look, uh, don't put a stumbling block in front of a brother who may have a problem with alcohol Mm -hmm. or there's also um, the appearance of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may be a Christian, but uh, I used to visit the folks in the hospital and uh, read Scripture and witness to them. If I go to the hospital and I got beer on my breath, I may claim to be a Christian, but I don't smell like a Christian, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm uh, uh, The appearance of evil is there. I need to avoid the appearance of evil. Now, we always say, oh, well... You're just a prude, and you're going too far uh, of all of this thing. Well, yeah, maybe, but uh, I've got to watch out for—I've got to be obedient to God, you know. And that's what my uncle, a retired Baptist minister, he gave me a scripture one time or a pamphlet. It said, some can, others cannot. So what am I doing? I'm upset because I'm excluded from the group that can drink alcohol. Other people can drink it and be fine with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he's got exclusions in the scriptures for those that want to be elders or deacons or Christian leaders. Uh, You know, there's a a distinction there that uh, you cannot be the husband of five different wives you can't be one who's given over to much alcohol. You've got to be one that manages your kids well. So there's all kinds of uh, of uh, restrictions, I guess you'd say, when God says, I want you to be a man after my own heart, so to speak. I mean, I look at uh, Tom mentioned um, Samson. Samson had some problems, and he was self, you know, he was strong. You look yeah. at me. Yeah. <laughs> And he went down in flames, Mm -hmm. crying out loud, the poor guy. Uh, And so do I want to be a Samson, or do I want to be more like an Elijah or Elisha or someone? uh, I don't need to be a John the Baptist. I'm not going to eat locusts and honey. (laughs) Yeah, I I can certainly be separate from, you know, the corruption that is around me.
0: Well, I think there's two extremes that people go to. One of them is people – People uh, in the name of of uh, free grace or in the name of, um, you know, saying I don't want to be bound to any kind of legalistic thing, drink when they right. shouldn't drink because they have issues with it, like you did, and, and do, you know, like right. you acknowledge. But then there's the other extreme of people who uh, see drunkenness and addiction, and they basically, those things are bad, but they take... What the Bible says about those things, and they put it on uh, wine and beer itself and alcohol itself, which it doesn't – the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol itself. It gives some limitations for certain things, and it says to overindulge in it is wrong. And so I think it's wrong also to be legalistic about it, but, but but going back to what you talked about about the stumbling block is something that we have to weigh in, too. So, you know, it's really kind of a complicated issue because so when people ask me is it is it a sin to drink alcohol? I tell them, well, it kind of depends. <laughs> it really depends uh-huh. on 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 if it's uh God convicts you of it or if you're causing a brother to stumble, but the the alcohol right. itself, I don't believe is sinful. And I I would think that's right. probably where you are based upon our conversation, right?
1: That's correct. And I remember Howard Hendricks saying once in class, he said, you can have the uh, strictest of rules and they're putting people down because they have a drink of wine with their, you know, meal. But he said those same people can be shot through with pride Mm -hmm. and not even acknowledge it, not even see it. And that's it. The deceptiveness of Pride, which leads to some of these excesses. I read a thing recently by David Jeremiah. I remember the um, uh, in World War II they had that uh, ghost division in England. They were just it was fake radio traffic. Radio traffic it was fake uh, tanks and troop movements and all of that. It kept the Germans bottled up up across the Channel because they thought this other division of soldiers were coming. Mm-hmm. Because we were getting ready to go into, <laughs> you know, uh, D-Day. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. I mean, deception, a, a person being deceived doesn't even know they're being deceived.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: why we need to stay close to God. That's why he says, flee the devil, flee with Satan. Uh, he's like a roaring lion, and he'll deceive you. He deceived Adam and Eve. He can deceive us. Mm -hmm. So we're back again to that pride, that ego, that self-sufficiency that says, I can take care of this, and pretty soon it's like, no, you can't. You're deceived, and the deceived person doesn't know they're being deceived. Mm -hmm. So there's a double whammy there that has to be broken through, a a denial that has to be broken through.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Jim, I have, you and I talked about this when I was out there, and I wanted to get you to weigh in. we we got about 10 or 11 minutes left, and you you talk about a 12-step program. There's lots of different 12-step programs. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Celebrate Recovery. Right. There's others. Um, right. So one of the things that I've witnessed as I've talked to people who've gone through some of these is... Some of the people elevate those programs themselves over biblical accountability relationships. And I understand there's Mm -hmm. a strong need for those. Those are vehicles and mechanisms to help people deal with the practical thing of what God's doing in their life. But can you weigh in on that for people that might be listening that may have relatives or themselves be in those programs, and say, you know what? I can't do both. I can't go to a Bible study and do the, the AA or the twelve step, and so I'm I, I got to go to the AA. Could you speak to the importance mm-hmm. of the Bible and and that kind of accountability being intertwined with that twelve step?
1: Yeah, let me start by saying this: God of my uh, understanding, that's so that uh, that was always the God of the Bible. Uh, and now they say, okay, well, your God can be a doorknob or can be a Coke can. And, uh, my friend says he got, he blew up at a meeting. He says, I guarantee you if you have your family or loved ones in a car accident out here in the highway, you're not going to be calling out to the Coke can or the <laughs> doorknob. You're going to be calling out to the God of the Bible, the triune God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Mm. Now. There, that was just to allow different denominations. Dr. Bob, one of the two founders of AA, when he would go into the uh, speaker's platform, he'd always carry a Bible with him as well as a big book.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Any of those steps that you look at are can be backed up by multiple scriptures. They were going to call themselves the James Club because the book of James is so practical on just how to live life. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other side of that, in early sobriety, I had to do ninety meetings in ninety days after I got out of rehab. I need that structure. I need that routine. And then, and I still would do uh, meetings five days a week for up to ten or twelve years after that, because it uh, it, it it helped me to talk to other people that other alcoholics who knew. How to get sober, or how to overcome a problem, how to live life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, though, like I said earlier, I was involved in Bible studies to grow spiritually, and uh, that's one of the that's step number eleven: mm-hmm. grow spiritually, grow closer to God. And I, uh, my wife and I, would go to a meeting on uh, two seven on Friday night. I would go to a meeting on Tuesday night for a men's group. And I I had to pick and choose. And some people say, oh, well, you just made AA your God. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I need that structure, and I need to hear the AA meeting because I'm early in sobriety, and I need to be reminded of how to stay sober one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I told my son-in-law when he was asking about me. He said, look, I'm hearing stuff in AA meetings that contradicts what I hear in the Bible. I said, don't listen to it then. I said, The Bible, I go to AA meetings to stay sober one day at a time. I go to my church and Bible studies at my church to grow in Christ's likeness and be conformed to the image of Christ and to learn good doctrine. Mm -hmm. So I don't mix the two, although uh, the the scriptures would certainly support uh, the AA steps, the 12 steps of AA, in how to live life and how to do, uh, how to live a, a profitable, uh,
0: productive life. Mm. And the guy who founded AA, it, it, he, you said he brought a Bible, right? I mean, he was, yeah. um, it, it was, yeah. uh, uh, it was, uh, Bill and,
1: um, it, uh, Bill Wilson. He wrote most of the big book. Yeah. I don't know about his spiritual, but Bob, uh, Smith, Bob Smith, uh, Wilson and Smith. Yeah. yeah Bob, yeah. He was uh, there in Akron, Ohio. He was a uh, physician, mm-hmm. a, pedi- a, a medical doctor, and uh, could never stop drinking. And he and uh, Bill Wilson got together and uh, made the uh, and figured this thing out. It was in nineteen thirty-six or thirty-four, somewhere along in there. But Bob Smith, Bob would always carry a Bible with him. Mm-hmm. He, he said, and and the first the early editions of the uh, big book. I mentioned Jesus Christ in there about a half a dozen times. And then mm-hmm. when they come out with a new edition, yeah, they kind of left some of that Jesus Christ thing out of there, and now you can't find it. But in the originals, we were talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the triune God of the Scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're talking about, you know, not any of this psychobabble, claptrap, some of it that's out there today, and it really it just shows the uh, nature of our um, culture in moving away from God and substituting God with other things.
0: Well, I, I you know it it was started off uh, with a group I think called the Oxford Group, and they they would That's study correct. the Bible and they studied the, you correct. know Sermon on the Mount and other uh, the Book of James, like you said. I heard that, and and mm-hmm. and but they were turned off. By leaders in the church who were hypocrites, <laughs> yeah, and 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 the people that were the one thing that I found about the the alcoholics or the uh, abuse people who abuse drugs or alcohols that I've met who are, have talked openly about it, they're they're mm-hmm. some of the realest people you meet out there, no, and and, and 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 they're really honest, but they also spot hypocrisy too. They're very street smart. A lot of them and cuz they yeah. you're you're right they're good at hiding and 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 that's sad to me because Jesus saved some of his strongest condemnation for the hypocrites that were supposed to be yep. helping people yep. and i know that you have been helping people now since god has delivered you and brought you through this and um yes and and so if there's people out there right now we got about 5 minutes left if there are people out there who have loved ones who are alcoholics and struggling, who have not gained victory. And it says they've they've tried everything, and and yet they they don't necessarily want to do the 12 steps. What what words would you say to these people to encourage them who are just – because it's a very discouraging thing if you have loved ones that are involved with it. So how would you encourage them, Jim?
1: Yeah, I would say you cannot fix them. But you cannot, you don't have to be complicit in it. We call it that codependency. Uh, you can codependent your loved one to death by um, doing things for them that uh, they could do for themselves because uh, they want to have enough money to do their drugs, alcohol. I would say uh, you could contact a physician. There are, there are probably a dozen programs out there other than AA on how to get sober. And how to uh without getting chemicals, you know, or the an abuse, uh, the sick treatment used to be a big deal thirty years ago. Um but I told Tom, I said, you know, I used to be commode hugging drunk Friday nights. That never stopped me from drinking, you know. Yeah. So uh, there's other programs out there. I would contact a physician, I believe, and ask him uh, or I, I don't know of any re- available resources off the top of my head. I saw something in Dear Abbey 20 years ago, and she listed about a half a dozen programs uh, for people. And a lot of church people hate the idea of the God of your higher power, the God of your understanding, who's this higher power, and they, they're turned off against a 12-step program. I would say, you know, back off a minute, take a break, uh it's it it's works for people. It worked for me, it works for others, it gets people sober all the time. So uh, you know, give it a give it a chance, I guess. But I, I think I would I would uh, consult with a physician, maybe the problem is if you contact a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, if they can get you sober through another program, then they lose the income that they were getting by you know giving you counsel i mean AA was full of people that went to counseling to get their wife off their back and all they were doing was manipulating the counselor and the counselor didn't care because he didn't pay 250 an hour to give you some you know there, there everything will be all right counsel you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's what I, I i that's a good question doug i i may have to research that myself but you know you guys have these cell phones and these things Look under alcoholic and alcoholic help or recovery, and there's got to be other things out there other than uh, AA.
0: Well, did you did you so you went through an AA program, correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. All right. Well, listen, we're 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 down to the last part, and I do want to emphasize something from our conversation that you absolutely acknowledge that the AA was the mechanism that God used, but you never looked at AA as a thing that healed you, right? I mean, you, you. when we were talking, you, no, it was the mechanism yeah. God used, right?
1: Yeah, because it says, uh, there's one who can help you, may you find him now. And it's talking about God. It's telling needed to seek a spiritual program and to mm-hmm. get out of yourself. You've tried everything you could to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. Now give it over to God. Well, I thought I had. Well, you really hadn't. So, we're going to help you see it, realize it, get out of the denial. And I, and I tell you, if I'd have healed myself or if I'd have get, God had done a zap job, I'd probably say, Look what I did. Mm. Instead of God saying, No, I did this through this 12 step program. So, don't get too arrogant.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, well Jim, uh, we have reached the end of our program today. And I'm really thankful for your time and your history, your testimony. Your, just uh, your friendship. Thank you uh, for giving me some time. And to so our listeners today, and listen, if you've listened to this and you want to listen to any past program, uh, you can go to SWATradio.com. This program will be posted uh, tonight and uh, share it with friends. And, uh, Jim, thank you for those encouraging words. Listeners, pray for You're Jim. Welcome. Pray for his family. Pray You're for welcome. his ministry. And, Jim, mm-hmm. give Tommy a big hug for me, okay? All right, Doug. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Okay. Hey, thank you guys for listening. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back next week on SWAT Radio on Monday. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a good weekend.